Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Soundworks Collection. I'm Michael Coleman, and today I'm excited to talk with the sound and music team behind Arcane League of Legends, which is uh, from Riot Games Studios and on Netflix. And today I'd like to introduce our guests. We have Elliot Connors, co-supervising sound editor and sound designer. Hey, Elliot. Hey, hey. Brad Beaumont, uh, co-supervising sound editor and sound designer. Hello, hello. And our composer, Alexander Temple. Hey. Maybe let's let's go back and maybe let's start with you, Elliot. Can you just talk about how long you've been with the studio, your relationship with Riot and with this League of Legends world? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I've been working with Riot Games uh, on their skins for League of Legends and cinematics for, uh, you know, probably around seven years or so. You know, I worked in film primarily for the last uh, about that same amount of time. I kind of worked with Riot in between film schedules. But, um, you know, Brad and I have a history. I started out uh, in, with Brad in sound, with Sound Deluxe Design Music Group. Um, it was kind of one of my first gigs uh, in Los Angeles. And that company kind of took a dive. And uh, Brad and I kind of went split directions. Brad came to Riot and I got into film. And um, we've always kind of been in contact about uh, not necessarily you know, we always wanted to do something like Arcane and it finally happened and Brad hit me up and as soon as I watched it I was just super stoked. And uh the whole the whole show is kind of just sound designer's dream palette. Uh every episode has something just amazing to work on. So as soon as I watched it I was super stoked and uh and because of that I've decided to join Riot Games, so I now work here. What about you, Brad? How did you get uh convinced to uh, get on this bandwagon? Um I actually asked if I could be on the project. <laughs> um, yeah, as I've been at Riot for, uh, I don't think it'll be nine years in May. Um, prior to that, as Elliot mentioned, um, we were together at Soundlux Design Music Group in Hollywood. Um, yeah, and Riot was actually a, a client of mine at the time. So I was doing stuff for uh, for League of Legends back in the day. And primarily because I was a huge League nerd, League fanboy. <laughs> like, there was nobody, nobody else at that company that was going to do uh, stuff for Riot. Um, so I was... More than happy to do that, uh, and you know, as Elliot mentioned, uh, when when Soundlux became no more, um, I made the decision to, to join Riot, um, get to work on my favorite game. So I worked on League of Legends for seven years or so um, as the audio director for a number of years there, and then um, you know when uh, I got wind of Arcane, I that was my my dream gig. It was time to it was you know the opportunity to go back and work in a, a linear format um, until or at least help tell this amazing story. So, um, yeah, that's how I got, that's how I got involved. Awesome. Alexander, what about for you? Um, let's see. I started working at Riot in, uh, around June, 2014, but prior to that, I was actually working for this other company called Hollywood scoring, which is sort of like a music services company. And, um, I'd started there in 2012 and pretty much as soon as I started there, like riot games became our main client. So the first stuff I actually worked on for riot was, uh, I think it was the season two world's final opening ceremony for their, you know, their big world's esports event. Um, then we did some map music. And then once I started working for Riot full time, um, you know, it was, it was kind of like we had a team of composers there, maybe, I don't know, four or five composers, depending on the year. And uh, what was nice is that it was just kind of like any project that came down the pipeline. It's sort of we'd look at who's available and whose sort of interest and skill set really matched. So like we were constantly sort of being shuffled around on different types of uh, things that we were working on. So um, 
and I think that was one of the things that excited me about Riot was that it's like it wasn't like I was just going to be working on background music for the game. Um, they had tons of cinematics, um, you know, new characters constantly being released several times a year. And so I felt like even though it's one company and one IP, you know, even within that white IP, there's a huge breadth of different types of projects to work on. And then when what always excited me the most was that kind of <clears throat> world building aspect. So when Christian approached me about Arcane, I was just like, yeah, sign me up. And that was a while ago. That was, I think, 2016 was the first time we had that conversation. Amazing. So when, what was the timeline then? What was the first time that you guys got word that they were going to evolve or just really yeah, turn this IP into the series? Well, at the time, Christian was a composer. And I remember, you know, we'd have a weekly composer like music review with him. And then we started seeing these note cards being like bulletin into the, uh, the acoustic paneling in his room and just for like uh, story ideas. And then slowly they sort of took over his wall. And within about, you know, six months or so, he and Alex, you e were just kind of like full time working on this thing, even though at the time, I think it was just the two of them. But um, yeah, that was, I think, 2016. Amazing. Yeah. And this is um, so Christian Link and uh, Alex Yee are both co-creators and writers. And uh, I think we were talking about before the record, they've been with the studio for how long now? Uh, I believe 12 and 11 years. Alex for 12, Christian for 11, I think. I hope I'm not misquoting that, but yeah, something like that. Yeah, we have a little internal tool that shows what percentage and like all of the writers you arrived in. I think they arrived before 99.7% of all writers. Oh, makes <laughs> Okay, good. So anyway, they, they're very familiar with this world. And obviously they have their, their you know, finger on the pulse of what has been an incredibly successful video game, a standalone video game. You know, this um, it's interesting because for anyone who doesn't play video games, it doesn't it doesn't really matter to jump into Arcane, which I love, is that it's taking inspiration from League of Legends, but it's not a direct descendant. It doesn't like you don't have to understand League of Legends to understand Arcane because episode one, we're being introduced to some of the, you know, to our main characters here in the world is so far broader and bigger in scope. And, you know, for you guys, what to you was the most intimidating aspect or most exciting aspect when you realize that it probably wasn't what you had been expecting because it's not a direct, you know, like I said, descendant of this video game. At least for me, the, the biggest thing was, uh, you know, being a, you know, obviously being an employee at Riot and, and, you know, working on the game, you feel a huge responsibility to the players to, to, you know, make good on the expectations that they have for, for what the, you know, the, what the world could be. But like I said, I'm a huge fan of league myself. I'm a huge fan of the IP of the games. Um, and uh, I think it was just it was just that like just the fear of <laughs> not not doing it justice um, or or not you know creating something that's as as grand and epic as uh, as as players would would expect. Did they give you a sense of the scope of the cast of how many characters, how many environments, all the potential um, worlds and spaces that you guys were going to be exploring in this series? Did you have a, I mean, it's, in, it's insane. That's all. I, that's the best word to describe it. I mean, I think similarly to to how Alex kind of found out about this show. I mean, I it was around the same time, probably, um, and Christian's office was right down the hall, and we had been talking about this. And I think I was probably asking questions and, and poking around about what he was up to. Um, and he gave me a, a script for for the pilot, and um, you know, told me to read it over the weekend. Um, and of course, I devoured it in like an hour. And I think the the coolest thing was that it wasn't just full of league characters that you know it wasn't just all of our champions it was a handful of our champions looked at in a really thoughtful way along with you know a, a cast of other supporting characters that that you know 
play really, really important roles in, in fleshing out and, you know, providing the the backstories for the champions. Um, and I, that's when I was like, okay, I'm in. Um, it's going to take me a minute to <laughs> figure out a, a a backfill plan for myself. But um, uh, yeah, I, I really want to be a part of this. So yeah. Oh, Alexander, for you, when you got an idea of the amount of material that, I mean, these episodes are just under an hour each. Um, it's definitely, it leverages the heightened uh, fantastical aspect of it's very realistic, but then it's also this kind of very surreal um, extension. I don't know how many, so how many, there's so many different ways to maybe describe it, but did you understand the amount of material that you would be in the end delivering? You know, when you went through with the script, how was, what was your initial spotting session like? Um, well, I would say that the initial spotting session was, was just kind of like we watched the episode and a lot of the times, you know, most of it was already temp at that point. So a lot of the times we would sort of like use the temp as a sounding board, sort of like, okay, this temp, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but let's talk about how it does work or how it doesn't work. Um, and so I felt like that was sometimes helpful in a way that if, you know, if we just had a blank canvas, it's almost like you don't quite know where to start. At, at least if you have some frame of reference, you know, like, does it need to be more emotional, less emotional, hit these points, not hit these points. Um, but I think on a broader scale, the the part that was sort of exciting but also intimidating to me was that um, most of the time when we were working on Music for League, we were working on little sort of bite-sized pieces of, of content where, honestly, like, it was under a pretty heavy microscope. So it's sort of like if, if you know, if it's a login screen, a theme for a champion, um, we would almost treat it like a, a single where it's like, you know, you'll get feedback will be addressed about every, like all the finest points about like, hey, let's let's boost this instrument here by like 2 dB. Let's, you know, t you know, everything from the mix to the composition was was sort of up for debate. Um, so trying to preserve that kind of attention to detail, but do it in a way that had covered this much material but was also sustainable. I think that was like one of the most daunting aspects for me. Um, and then I think the other part that was tricky was, you know, when we're creating music for a standalone event or a standalone cinematic or champion, like if it's set in Piltover, you can kind of paint with a bit of a broader brush because it's like, it's just this one example of Piltover or this one example of this character in Piltover. But when you have an entire show that's set within Piltover and Zon, it's sort of like you need everything to feel like Piltover, but you also need to give them distinguishing characteristics that helps one character not feel like the next one, etc. Um, so I think it's sort of like figuring out, you know, what is the range of music that can be considered Piltover or Zon, and then how do we work within that range to, you know, feel cohesive, but at the same time, give everyone unique identity. Yeah, the really thing, the thing that I enjoyed about this is visually it's stunning. Um, I think just the aesthetic that they came up with represents something that's just unique and different. It, it's not anything I've ever seen before, experienced before. So I imagine it kind of gave you guys a creative freedom with with the sound design and the world building that you had to do. Where did you start? Like, what was the direction with tone? Just from the standpoint of if we take dialogue out and we just listen to background and environments and just the ambience of this world, what did you know was um, the right the right fit for for you know above ground and below ground? Riot in general it, it just understands the important the importance of sound and music in their storytelling and it's apparent across everything they create uh, from the league game cinematics and sound and music tell uh, you have a huge role in telling the characteristics of each champion and each champion comes from a region so um you can kind of like steampunk version of zon it has these kind of gears and steam and then you kind of got the above ground of, of piltover but uh 
there's a lot of thought that goes into each region and and how the music's supposed to sound and you know how those champions are supposed to sound and where they come from um so with that being said you know you kind of had these guidelines as to you know what this world is supposed to sound like because it's kind of already been talked about but and has characteristics that the lore explains but arcane is kind of like this precursor to where the game is now um so you kind of had to step back as far as for brad and i just kind of like uh designing ambiences and worlds and make it seem like how how it would be as a precursor and make things sound kind of like new or cobbled together or uh you know hinting at mysterious and hinting at at this kind of magic world or there's something off in these worlds but uh it's all kind of beginning in arcane you know and uh i felt like that was a big that was a big challenge for us as far as just kind of stepping back from where it is now and and trying to think about how it would be if it was you know when it was first being created and started and how these worlds would sound or how those machines would sound or you know like kind of they're all kind of cobbled together in a way so for you brad did you find that you were reliant i mean building a library building the material that you're going to use what did you already have what did you know you needed to go out and source like how did you manage because um the texture of this world uh, or just arcane in general is so it's it feels hyper focused in a way that it i appreciate it because it makes you appreciate um the level of detail that the artist went to with the visual aesthetic so yeah how did you start to build out your library and then like how did you start to understand the nuances of the things that were going to be important to really bring you know all the visuals to life because you guys are starting with pretty much a blank slate um yeah i mean in some ways yes there's a there's a blank slate when we get a version of picture and there's no sound with it aside from like some of the awesome the temp editorial that the picture department worked up but there's this long kind of legacy with um you know sound design and music at riot where it's been a very tightly knit group of individuals um you know starting with a handful when i joined um now up to you know in upwards of 40 people that live and breathe in for the most part um the rune terra universe and are constantly creating and and you know uh having conversations about what you know what do x y and z things sound like in this region and what should snow sound like here and and all that so um for all the work that we did on the show there's a lot of stuff that preceded us and in some cases we helped develop but um there's a big uh cast of sound designers and composers that work uh across all the different league of legends ip um uh the different the different league you know properties and uh products and things that have just designed this huge library of stuff that we could draw inspiration from or take and mangle. Um, so, I mean, that was awesome. And being able to have conversations with folks and not feel like we were this, you know, isolated group of a few people that had to make all these decisions about what Terra sounds like, you know, there was a lot of conversations with the broader um, sound design teams on League of Legends, Legends of Runeterra, uh, et cetera, that could really help inform and, and kind of, you know, steer us in the right direction or, you know, give us a good gut check when we needed it. So um, in a lot of ways, there was a, a pretty nice safety net, <laughs> I guess, that, you know, people that that could um, that could speak to, to whether or not things felt right. You really went to the Undercity to get these? Weren't you afraid? A little danger is worth the risk, don't you think? Oh. <laughs> Careful, that's your parents' money you're dropping. Hello? Is someone in there? Hey, open up! 
question is for, for Alexander, for you, what's your interaction collaboration with the sound team? Because I feel like, like I said, that the handoff between the two, you're building tension with score, you're getting quiet with the soundtrack in terms of dropping stuff out to build, you know, dynamics. But, you know, for a scene like this, I feel like it's by the time it explodes and reveals itself, it's a pretty revealing moment. Uh, it's pretty, ins- yeah, it's just... Yeah. Do you want to talk about maybe just walking through kind of the pacing of uh, the score for this? Sure. Um, so I think as far as the collaboration between sound and music, um, I mean, we're constantly talking to each other and, you know, sort of shooting each other whip versions of of what we're doing for the scene. Um, you know, we'll be updating them as we get new picture. Uh, but I think that even as, as far back as spotting, we'll often identify like, OK, this is going to be a sound moment. This is going to be a music moment. So I think that that right, right away, that sort of helps avoid scenarios where we're both trying to you know, hit a moment with equal impact. Um, you know, of course, it's still going to happen because when you're watching it, it's like a very exciting moment. Everyone wants to be a part of that. But, you know, sometimes it, mean, it, it can mean in something as simple as like, okay, there's an explosion. We don't need to have a, a transient sound effect and a transient, you know, drum beat at that moment. We can, or, you know, we don't have a need to have a cymbal swell. And I think sometimes when you're just working on the music, you can get carried away because, you know, we don't have we don't always have the sound effects that we're working with. So it's like you, you're tempted to just basically fill up the sonic space. But I think, you know, the sort of back and forth is often very helpful for, um, you know, carving out space for each other, uh, both both in terms of like dynamic intensity and even sort of frequency range. Um, yeah, with, with this scene, I felt like towards the beginning, uh, like the whole explosion sequence, um, you know, I just wanted to create sort of a sense of building up while we're watching this, uh, you know, the scene unfold. And the music is somewhat related to music that we heard in episode one, you know, on the other side of the door. Uh, but then once that explosion happens, I kind of wanted to clear out of the way and, you know, uh, leave space for the, you know, the swirling snow and sound effects and stuff like that. Um, and so I, I kind of structured it into three acts. The first being just when they're lost in the snowstorm. The second, when there's a glimmer of hope when the mage shows up and, but hope, but also a sense of like, is this a good thing or is this, is this a new terror? Um, and then just kind of a sense of powerful awe, but again, not quite sure if what we're seeing is, is like the end of the world or if it's going to save them. We're just witnessing something, witnessing something awesome with this, um, all this swirling magic. Um, and then, you know, finally, I guess the sort of epilogue to the scene, just the pure sort of serene, you know, being transported to the the meadow and, and, uh, you know, the build into the into the titles. Uh, gosh, I, I feel like it's a masterclass when it comes to texture and just being visceral without overdoing it. So yeah, well, what did you guys find? How do you treat the magic world? How do you treat uh, the human world? Like, were there any rules or boundaries or, or things that were good guideposts for you guys to determine the right balance for everything? This scene in particular is a good example of just clarity and achieving achieving that with precision editing and just decisions about sounds you know if you're if you're able to tell a story with um you know one sound as opposed to a bunch of layered sounds you know when you start layering things you create mud and clarity and what happens is you lose a lot of the frequencies and the music has a trouble time to has a hard time to shine so um i spent a lot of time in this project exploring transients just in general and and really just crunching them beyond uh you know, through distortion and bringing them back and testing them on all kinds of, uh, like, you know, even iPhones just to try to see what I could get to pop and what worked. But, you know, this whole scene from the explosion and the mage scene 
there's a lot of you know really thought out editing that has space for transients so that um, everything feels impactful. Uh, you know when the mage sticks his uh, you know his staff into the ground and the magic starts. There's literally a couple frames of silence before that happens so that it feels bigger and it hits you right in the chest. Um, and I you know I've always <laughs> I've always it's taken me many years to to figure out how to get to that point, but I'm always trying to get better at it. But uh, you know, you could you could be the best sound designer in the world, the best field recordist in the world, but if you don't understand how to edit these things together and and build clarity, um, you know that's that's how the story the story works. And uh, you tell stories by knowing when you get out, when I should get out, and what let Alex go, and when Brad. You know, Brad and I, it's like this whole mage scene is kind of a combo effort. Um, it's one of the first, I think, passes Brad did uh, with Storyboard. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of took it after that and, and added to it. So this this whole scene from start to finish is a huge, you know, collaborative effort. Brad, what, what, what did you find was exciting in terms of like a scene like this when we introduced magic and just... Like I said, visually, there's so much going on. You have to represent it sonically. So, yeah, what what to you was exciting about a scene like this? Um, I think this is sort of the, the opportunity to define what you know, like what magic is and what it isn't from a sonic perspective, right? Um, and it it ended up being you know a lot of exploration about just really clean, pure tonal, you know, not synthetic sounding um, palettes, and we spent a lot of time building those libraries up, you know, through different, uh, different things, like a lot of layering of soft synths and creating like kind of custom instruments that way. Um, marrying those with recordings that Elliot did of like, you know, wine glasses and things like that. Um, just to kind of keep everything grounded. Um, and, you know, having conversations with, with Alex about what's the, the proper tuning for, for this sound palette, for this scene, or, you know, Hey, if we're going to showcase, um, Hexite, which is, you know, these, these blue, crystals that are kind of the, the the source for a lot of this magic energy what is the what is the core kind of tonal makeup of those if we're talking about it in a musical you know uh musical way how is that going to play against your your cues every time we see me every, every time we see this blue magic are we gonna hear you know a particular tonal palette uh, chord structures etc um so we try to be mindful of that kind of stuff and i think it was cool to be able to have those conversations early and start to align on what things were and what they weren't so that we had this palette that was just sort of like a big tub of Lego bricks that we could kind of, you know, <laughs> just kind of move around where we needed to. And they always kind of worked. I mean, sometimes there was some tuning involved and blah, blah, blah. But um, for the most part, we started from a good spot just because we had those conversations up front. Not to mention we've been living, you know, in this, the three of us have been living in this universe for a long time. Um, and, you know, we had already had a lot of ideas about what this magic should sound like you know the word organic gets thrown around a lot um you know synthetic is kind of a a a bad word when we're talking about you know stock canonical league of legends magic so um we kind of all had that just i don't know knowledge baked into our brains already i think that's cool um alexander for you did you find that instrumentation was going to be at all limiting in terms of the types of instrumentation or the stat or the genre like what to you represents arcane not necessarily league of legends that you know what instruments were you leaning on more to help kind of uh fill out your frame um well i think with arcane i i looked at it as piltover and zon being two very different um distinctly different musical palettes for piltover it's sort of 
Um, I mean, it's a lot of it's sort of traditional cinematic orchestral, often augmented by um, auxiliary instruments like you know lots of you know sort of mallet um, mallets or or things like dulcimers. There's the kind of like plucked things that have a a nice precise sound, especially when they're sort of paired with um, a kind of like a motor ostinato that that really makes something feels like it's it's just sort of like really locked into place. Um, and then with Zahn, it's sort of kind of sonic chaos of you know a mix of like found instruments, you know something functioning as a guitar but not a guitar, you know processed and mangled through different ways, and and often a mix of of sort of synthetic sources and, and organic sources to to create something that's you know, it doesn't have that sort of smoothness of something that's purely synthetic, but it doesn't, but it's, you know, a lot chunkier and more distorted than something that's um, purely acoustic. It's incredible of just the, um, the thing I like about, at least with this, the stream with, well, with Netflix to, to be specific, is that you're actually um, delivering a very wide image um, musically and sonically. Like it's, it's, what is it, a 5.1? Is that what you guys had? Yeah. Yeah, I, I just feel like, you know, nowadays, so much of our experiences are at home because of the pandemic. And, you know, for me to, I, I watch this in my studio, I have a really nice pair of, you know, Meyer sound speakers in my studio and stereo. But like, the low end is insane. There's so much low end energy that you guys are able to represent. I'm curious, to, um, when you guys are on your, do you treat it any differently knowing that it's going to, not necessarily that it's going to be on Netflix, but like, are there any constraints um, technically or just like when you're going through, you know, your mastering mixing process, did you guys find that there were any challenges or hurdles that you had to be aware of? I think that uh, the the stereo experience was always really important to not only us, but but Christian um, really making, I mean, because I think as, as awesome as all the, the Dolby Home Atmos and all that awesome tech is, um, the reality is that League of Legends is enjoyed by a gajillion people all over the world with all different different types of setups and um you know different listening environments different you know there's there's cultural differences in how people listen so i think that um at the very core it was really important that the stereo experience was um i don't want to say king but it was certainly um heavily scrutinized in terms of you know how is this going to translate for you know somebody that is not you, Michael, like with amazing set of monitors in your, in your room at home. Um, is this going to sound cool to kids, you know, watching it on, uh, on an iPhone or a, an Android phone right on the playground. Right. Um, so it was important that that, that, that stereo, yeah, that stereo mix was, was, was really solid. I mean, the, well, I'd say the reality is, is that most gamers are on headphones, so they're pretty used to, I mean, or even just having binaural or, you know, immersive audio, you know, I, I think it's interesting to to think about the fact that, if stereo was a focus, that must maybe that's because Riot is very familiar with their. I mean, they're pretty in lo- synced up with their audience. They understand that most. I, I think most people would be listening to on headphones who are watching this. I don't know for some reason, it just feels like that, that's the place they'd be going to. Everything we designed and the way that we mixed this show was for honestly a stereo experience. And everything I designed, I uh, Brad and I designed, I checked on. This is probably the first project ever where I've checked it on multiple headphones and crappy speakers and just making sure what we were designing would be heard from any situation from the viewer. Um, but like you said, yeah, I mean, number one, this show was created for the player and a lot of those players are on headphones. Um, and a lot of people are watching Netflix on headphones these days. I mean, it's just a lot of interference from life where you just want to kind of check out for a second. Um, yeah. 
maybe they don't have and a lot of people don't have the space to 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 watch it so it's on headphones but um it's uh it was definitely on our mind at all times and uh even checking just you know for backgrounds and one-offs and just putting yourself in the world making sure it was heard at very low volumes and making sure that the world still came alive uh, when you were on headphones or uh, on not such good speakers <laughs> uh, and I know Alex thought about that too a lot too yeah I mean I actually do I work primarily on headphones I, I use the speakers more often sort of for gut checks and you know make sure things like bass and things that don't come across super well in headphones where um, at the right quantities, but uh, but yeah, I, I actually found that the you know the the biggest challenge in you know the sort of headphone speaker you know, experience is that sometimes when you're working on headphones, details present themselves a little too easily, and sort of like oh, I can hear all the backgrounds and the music, and I can hear all the, everything, and then once you are sitting on your couch, you know, several feet away from the TV, you're kind of like oh, some sometimes those little details do get lost a little bit. So um, yeah, I think. The, you know, for, for me, it's kind of the opposite adjustment that I need to make. Focus more on the, the speaker experience. That's awesome. Um, not to jump around too much, but I do want to jump into this next clip, which is from episode four. Each clip is so dense in, in a really good way. I feel like there's so many different aspects. Um, I think the nice thing about, let, let's maybe just talk about the first part of this clip, which is kind of like the hoverboards or like the, the guys flying around on these hoverboard looking things with Zeppelins. <laughs> You guys are very playful in a very, very fun, tasteful way of panning. I'd love for you guys to maybe describe how you like to use, you know, really tracking what's happening on the screen. The Firelights is the name of this kind of, uh, this gang, I guess you would call. <laughs> but uh, they're bored in general. Brad was always wanted to give these guys kind of the signature sound and um really cool we we have a, a sound designer rachel who's a professional flutist on staff and brand uh brandon who's another designer brandon reader took these uh recordings of a flute and kind of created this awesome building blocks library that had nothing to do with this show it was just something that brad heard and thought he you know he's like he wanted to use it so um i took these sounds and kind of uh, was able to incorporate them into the boards using Envy and, uh, you know, making sure they had this signature kind of flute sound. Um, and Slapper and Vaha Delay to kind of put them into the world. But, you know, the core the core sound, when they come out of this tube here, you can kind of hear that flute echo across. Um, but this is this scene and these boards are, are, are kind of like the... It's kind of a mix match of just a bunch of different cool things for each particular scene uh this is another one of those kind of like precision editing situations where there's so much so much happening but uh you know you kind of cut uh to each little action and we wanted to make sure we hit the cuts big so each 
each different scene has kind of a different play on the board. You know, one one is like a very high pitched kind of dirt bike sound, and the next I know I use some horses, and then the next is like the flutes, and then the next would be maybe a mechanical kind of flipping sound of uh, their boards as they do kick flips. But it's kind of a nice uh, um, combination of a bunch of different uh, fun and interesting sounds. Um, but <laughs> there's just so much of this scene, I don't even know what to uh, to unpack. But Brad, maybe you have some more to add to that. <laughs> every scene is is crazy. It's like a whole different design challenge. I mean, every scene of this show is like a full on, like you mentioned, like a full on league cinematic. So, um, yeah, lots of stuff to do. Uh, I think Elliot hit on a lot of good parts there, as far as the arrow gliders are concerned. Um, yeah, and then I think we get into this, you know, hull of the ship moment here, where these guys are sort of trying to, you know. Uh, scope out how much of this shimmer, you know, is is on board this ship, and it's very, it, it's very apparent to them quickly that they're screwed. Um, Jinx is down there; it's a trap. And uh, I think this whole scene was fun, just kind of making this feel very, you know, creepy horror movie, uh, a little bit unsettling. We kind of hear the hum of these guys' boards as they're just kind of like their energy hum is is, is happening, um, and then. Yeah, the the following scene here where we see the re- the big reveal of Jinx, um, it just turns into absolute chaos. And like Elliot pointed out, just a lot of really really tight tight editing, um, making sure that things hit where they need to hit, um, and getting in and out so that we're not completely stepping on music and you know and vice versa. And um, yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff. Maybe can you guys also describe how you work through? How do you allocate? handling coverage at least from a sound effect side uh yeah how do you break it up among the two of you or the rest of your team how did yeah how did you like to work even with your foley and um you know i think we can also do a deep dive next about dialogue but yeah maybe just breaking down these scenes how, how do you like to manage them yeah i mean i think i i i mostly took the reins on kind of supervising the the foley aspect um cueing the foley you know working with um uh, the guys at One Step Up, so Dan O'Connell, John Cucci, um, and, and their crew, uh, they were just amazing partners through the whole thing. Um, you know, we kind of, the, the schedule was a little bit loose and a little bit fluid, which was actually really nice. Um, it gave them the opportunity to kind of take the time that they needed um, to get, you know, really, really special, really different things that we hadn't heard before. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the second that that was done, we just, <laughs> we had our awesome uh, Foley editor, Alex Ephraim, um, just jam on that and get it over to, uh, to Elliot and myself and, and kind of figured out who was doing what <laughs> as it was sort of a, it was, it's a small crew. So it was, um, it was really just kind of who wants to pick at things, right? Like Elliot, what's, what's exciting to you about this scene? What do you want to pick at? Um, or, you know, towards the later episodes, I got uh, mired in a lot of extra stuff you know for for season two and and other localization efforts and stuff like that so elliot did a lot of stuff in the later episodes um so it was really just kind of a almost a daily conversation of like you know what's we we know we have a million things to get through let's just start picking at them um there was some some organization to it but uh it was a lot of just let's let's power through and um i think elliot used the phrase kill kill mode he just going in he just said i'm just gonna go into kill mode so i knew Basically, not to bug him for the next two days or two or three days. Well, I, my thought, I, I usually go through and focus on, let's say, you know, I'm just going to focus on the boards for today or, you know, these three days. And I'll cut that and kind of almost just mute it and get it out. 
and then I'll say I'm gonna work on the guns uh, and the Ricos, and then I kind of work, I kind of knock off in sections different feels to the scene, and then I start to bring it back in and see how everything's working together. Because if you don't, if you don't pick at it in pieces, it can get a little overwhelming. Um, if you try to look at the whole scene and always looking at the whole scene to start off, you can kind of get a little uh, like, oh no, <laughs> there's a lot going on here. But I found that if I work in pieces and then start to bring it back, um, I can start making decisions easier and, and making sure that I'm using, uh, you know, I'm using just particular sounds for each scene as opposed to, you know, this giant like mud palette. Um, and it helps me bring build clarity. And it also allows me to get through, go through the sounds again. Uh, so like if I'll cut uh, everything in pieces and then start back from the bringing, start bringing it back, um, I can start getting rid of things or uh, figuring out the best way for things to work together. Um, but then, you know, that, that's kind of the end process is at the end, I do that before it goes back to this, you know, to the stage is kind of, all right, where we're at, press play and then go through each pre-dub and make sure that we are um, telling the story that needs to be told in each scene and getting rid of the stuff that um, doesn't. Um, and that was a kind of, that was a big thing for us just as far as the mixing process and, and, and sending things to the stage. We wanted to make sure that the, the mixers, Andy and Penny at uh, Formosa, we want to make sure they had time to mix the relationship of dialogue, music, and effects and not spend time going through the weeds and panning and uh you know editing we didn't want them to do that so a lot of pre-dubbing was done uh before the sessions got to them and i really feel like that helped them focus on the mix and gave them time to really help tell ultimately you know the story better and um and that was a big thing that brad and i wanted and we i think we delivered it to them but they might have a different story but we tried really hard to do that, and you know I think you you hear that uh, you hear there that 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 they had time um, is apparent in a lot of these scenes because you know, that relationship between effects and music and how we can get in of a cue and out of a cue and into the effects they had time to do that as opposed to uh, I need to pan all these firelights or I need to pan all this full you know like I did a lot of that prior to the stage for for Andy and, and I think it gave him a lot more time to mix. Alexander, how do you like to break down your scene, especially in one like this? I like how it gets incredibly quiet and it feels like underscore in a way. And then as as we get into this sequence of them attacking, it to me it just it it never gets tiresome and it, it like the tension continues to build and drop back. And you know the the it ebbs and flows basically. Yeah. So how do you like to break down a scene, especially like one like this where we kind of explore all the the angles? Uh, well, fortunately on this scene, I actually, I had help. Um, so Alex Seaver wrote the first half of the scene, basically the entire, you know, build up up until the firelights are swooping around until they're down in the hull. Um, so that, that was all him. And then I, I composed the second half, you know, when, when Jinx shows up and, and everything that happens after that. Um, so I think that that helped sort of us maintain focus, but I think within this, like we knew that we wanted those to be big sort of musical fight moments, both for the firelights and then for Jinx. Um, but we wanted them to feel very different from each other. I think, for the firelights, it's one of these sort of merging of worlds where we're sort of in a Piltover environment, but we have, you know, characters from Zon or, you know, at this point, presumably from Zon making their appearance. Um, and I think original ver early versions of the score here were actually quite a bit more on the sort of purely Zon side. 
and we were kind of feeling like, okay, this is, it's really exciting and it's, and it's sort of like, it has this sort of rock energy to it, but it feels like it's trying to be too cool. It doesn't feel tense enough. So um, I think after like the fourth or fifth iteration, we're like, all right, we need to, you know, we need to add some of that sort of like cinematic orchestral scoring into this action scene as well. So the the end result for the the first half of the sequence is that that action sequence maintains some of the synth and, you know, the sort of rock drums and things like that. Um, but it also has that um, that sort of the, like the really fast string parts that <laughs> that terrorized the, the string players in Berlin when we recorded it live. But uh, I think it all sort of came together pretty well. Um, for the second half of the scene, you know, we wanted to create this big pause between these two moments to just allow, you know, all that energy to, you know, and, and tension to build. And especially like that, I don't know, Brad, that's one of my favorite moments of the whole show, that, that sort of creaking sound when there's an explosion within the hall. And it's just, you can just feel the immense size of that thing. So just making sure there was nothing on my end covering that up. Um, but yeah, once once Jinx shows up, um, I actually had previously written a suite for sort of her and, you know, you know, the younger version of her as powder. And we've been working with this violinist, Ray Chen, who's a phenomenal sort of classical soloist. Um, and we worked with him throughout the season. And we'd actually done some early recordings with him for the suite. So I was kind of taking those recordings, kind of chopping them up and, you know, sort of mangling them to give them this really sort of frantic, nervous energy for um, for that action sequence with Jinx. And I, I think that really helped with the uh, you know, making that texture feel both sort of like heavy and and uh, um, but but also feeling like you know you don't you don't quite know what's going to happen next. And then the interesting challenge with this with the end of this is we have this really sort of exposed violin cadenza where it's just like it's just a violin solo and it's this sort of very agitated solo that speeds up and down. Um, and it's something where it's it's sort of like it's kind of to the picture edits, but not quite always to the picture edits, but we, you know, we did it early on enough that they were still sort of editing the picture to match the music. So the challenge was that was right at the height of COVID. So, you know, we had Ray record, you know, record the cadenza at home and basically told him like, okay, just sort of like play it free time, you know, make it work musically and then make it make sense. And then they kind of, you know, finish editing the scene to that performance. I think the challenge was then we had to take that and go back into the studio and say, like, okay, we're going to record this properly. So now Ray's got to you know, record this, you know, this, this cadenza that has these extreme tempo changes where the, the click track is literally like, like, and, but he has to play it how he played it before because the picture has now been edited to his prior performance, but we still need the new recording to, to make it actually sound, you know, as good as we wanted to. So that was, uh, I think we all learned something about, you know, what, what not to do or, or, or the best way to approach something like that. Something that I think people forget with, these projects is that so much relies on the dialogue on the human voice of the performance how much of that was locked in by the time it got to you like what were the like were the were there animatics like how flushed out were each of the iterations for the from the visual team whether it was sound effects or music like what were you working against basically for your visual reference and pacing and timing and everything else yeah so we'd had the uh, the production dialogue that was done um you know it was the, the basis for creating the animatics, the story or the storyboards, and then eventually the animatics, um, which became the full, you know, animated episodes. Um, so we had that for the most part, with the exception of a handful of, of you know, uh, scenes with some scratch here and there. But um, for the most part, we had those performances. And um, 
I mean, huge credit to, to our VO director, David Lyerly, who just like pulled these amazing performances out of, out of the cast and really, really kept it feeling grounded and, you know, not quite as, uh, traditional animated, um, as, as people are, you know, people are used to hearing. Um, so it was really fresh, uh, a really cool, fresh take on that. And then, um, we had, you know, an amount of ADR that we did, uh, to kind of fill out the, the gaps with, um, not some gaps, a ton of gaps, um, for breaths and efforts and just little nuanced, you know, things that, that really bring those scenes to life. Um, so, uh, shout out to our ADR supervisor and dialogue editor, Shannon Beaumont, um, who totally crushed it on that. Um, and, you know, she also supervised our, our loop group, which was instrumental in kind of filling out a lot of the, um, the, just the, the world, honestly, with Zon and, and, and Piltover when we're in those big crowds, you know, and, episode five when we're introduced to the, you know, the, the market area with Jericho, the big kind of fishy guy who's <laughs> kind of creating some awesome looking street food. Um, awesome, depending who you ask, I guess. Um, but just, yeah, just fill, figuring out what those, those, you know, areas sounded like um, and just getting, getting those amazingly awesome uh, actors to come in and, and do these, these crazy, crazy group sessions. So it was a lot of fun. We worked with um, Terry Douglas on, on all that. So it was, it was awesome. I also think with Matt, with all of the, uh, basically, I'm going to butcher all the names, all the street guards and all the masked um, guards, um, just, and especially like even in this with the gang, everyone's behind a mask. And so you guys are representing that sonically in a very expressive way, which I think is, it's very cool to hear. It's, I think like, if we're not talking about, you know, some t- like we're not seeing mouth movement, but we we still hear performance. How did you guys like to manage and, and kind of navigate all the times when we don't see lips moving and mouths articulating words and stuff any amount of voice processing i think it was important to kind of make it feel like it wasn't uh amplified electro you know electrically or electronically or there wasn't any kind of we don't really say what was doing the amplification but um you know having it not just feel like a a a squelched mask kind of a treatment or something like that um so and and also keeping in mind that we really wanted the uh the global audience to experience you know a, a similar you know, a, have a similar experience to the to the domestic uh, English mix. So, um, you know, we tried to keep really, really good detailed notes about how we did things and creating, um, you know, recipes for for creating that stuff so that we can work with our localization partners and and you know keep that, you know, so that in French, German, uh, Korean, you know, etc., it sounds faithful to the original. Um, so that was that was really important to us. Besides the creatures, which I want to go into next with our next clip here, were there other you know, treatment of character dialogues of just how you guys really dial those in to match the um, visuals. I think we spent a lot of time um, doing like a, you know, mock-ups of, of reverb treatments, of room, tre- room treatments uh, across every episode um, and just sort of taking that to the mix to have as, you know, something to inform, uh, you know, what we ended up with. Um, I know that was really important to Christian and uh, getting those spaces uh figured out ahead of time um specifically scenes like the council scene um having that feel really cavernous and uh you know kind of almost ominous you know when jace is you know on trial there in episode four there's a there's an audible shift in the kind of the wetness and just sort of the overall room roominess of that council chamber from when the the window shutters are open versus when they're closed you know when the trial's on the shutters are closed it's you know the reverb is up (laughs) to it to 11 um, so there was, yeah, there was a lot of those, uh, situations where we were kind of putting in a lot of thought before we got to the mix. 
this scene was actually a little easier than than uh, some of the other ones, and I think part of that was because we had already developed, uh, I think, one of the stronger character themes for the show and the theme for Victor. So it was sort of like, okay, well, this is this is Victor's moment. Like, we have to use that theme here. So it was just like I, I already had recordings of of Ray Chen, you know, playing that violin solo, and I was just kind of dropping them in and sort of seeing like, okay, what what timing makes sense here, um, and then. Yeah, it was almost sort of music editorial at first. It was sort of like, I already have this suite. Let's just, let's see what fits. And then let's sort of scale things back and make it the appropriate intensity and whatnot for the scene. But, uh, you know, I just loved how, you know, even though the scene is so focused narratively, like how it, it still has this, such a strong flow to it from just seeing this kid, you know, trying to make his, this, uh, this little toy boat of his work and then seeing his internal struggle as he really sort of thinks he can keep up with it for a while and then, and then falters and then, you know, went hands off to this this very very different interior cave sequence. I think, um, you know, that being able to do all that within such a sort of you know small amount of time, I think was was a lot of fun. Um, and actually, the the music, I think when we're watching it, we kind of notice the music coming in more or less like when that violin solo comes in. But it it kind of starts at the very beginning, almost from the the start of the um, the cold open. Um, but I realized like. You know, this is this is a, a moment that's better served by, you know, really like hearing the the environment that we're in, and you know, I, I have a, a few a few kind of pads that that help us ease into that violin solo, so it doesn't just come straight out of nowhere. But uh, but I really wanted to just kind of leave space there. funny little Easter egg sounds that I tossed in here is just like a storytelling moment is I kind of gave the boat a, a signature sound of a, a falcon when it kind of dips in you hear this kind of call out from the boat when it's going into the cave and then when it gets into the cave it kind of has this it has its own sound which I made from uh, a falcon recording but I wanted to do that and the only reason it came up was because you're leading into this creature Rio that's in the cave and it was kind of my way of I don't know connecting the boat to Rio in a way I guess but I always love the gear stuff they did for this and I actually I pitched a lot of this stuff and made it into backgrounds and Zon at one point um and in some areas don't be afraid you built this why aren't you playing with the others Loneliness is often the byproduct of a gifted mind. What is it? Hmm? Oh, this is a rare, she's a rare mutation that I cultivated. Here, go on. must survive. Can I help? You want to assist me? Very well. 
we can be loners together. I mean, you look at him and you, you know, you come, you kind of come up with these key, key words. For me, I looked at him, I, I, you know, slither, lizard, uh, almost like, uh, almost like an aquatic animal in a way, you know, and the way that it moves. So I first did a pass with my voice, which I always do for sync and just maybe sometimes some of it gets through and I use the nuances that I have in my voice, but, um, I use this, <laughs> actually this, this sound here is this creature calls, which I have probably way too many of. Um, but I use that as kind of some of his nuances in his voice. And then it's a combination of, uh, that with some seal stuff and, uh, and just his movement. Um, you know, both Brad and I have done an astronomical amount of creatures in our career when we started off in games and, uh, we've got a lot of experience in just, uh, you know, how doing creature vocals and how those creature vocals work in games is by assets and frame accurate triggers. And, uh, you know, from our background in that you, it, it's helped me in my career think about how um, different vocals can connect to each other and not so much a scream, but the nuances in between them and uh, you know, how his scale movement is more important than hearing his vocals at times. Uh, but, you know, the big thing with Rio is we wanted it to be emotional and we wanted, uh, you wanted the viewer to feel sorry for this, this creature and um, by pitching seal vocals down and giving it that little kind of cry uh you kind of all of a sudden have this you know you feel sorry for this creature a little bit because you know just that little pitch shift gives him almost a little bit of a an emotional cry and 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 people start feeling for him how do you guys continue to check in was it a daily weekly basis between audio and music you know how 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 did you guys like to leave notes what what was your system for tracking and breaking these conversations down for each of these moments. What was great is at any time that Alex had a pass on a scene or he felt like he had something new for a scene, he would share it with us, which is something you don't get all the time on, you know, in the, in a lot of the film world or even uh, on other productions. And just Brad and I listening to his music, we know just by listening to it and hearing, we know where our, our you know, where our moments are. And um, having the access to that and him, you know, being okay with sharing that with us um, was huge for building clarity and helping to tell the story in a lot of these scenes. And, I, you know, we, we would provide Alex with um, stuff when he asked or when he needed it as well. So he knew what we were doing. Um, I think I would say probably the first six episodes, it was a lot more of that. We had a little bit of a crunch at the end, but, um, you know, I, every little bit helped and it helps you tell the story and it's just close collaborative working effort between everybody um even art the you know the art team and the animation team at fortiche you 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 have access to what they're working on and what backgrounds are going to look like and what characters are going to look like and you can see just drawings from the artists and you know those little things that's that's all sometimes you need to kind of kick off a creative idea and um I, I, it's just an amazing, it's amazing collaborative effort. It was just such an organic, uh, that's not to say that there wasn't an insane amount of hyper organization and, and calendars and checklists and 
and asset lists and stuff like that. But um, I think those things just sort of became, I don't know, muscle memory. And we just, you know, it was just such an organic um, uh, process that everybody was so communicative and we're always talking and everybody, nobody ever felt like they were on an island. You know, it was just the artists were a Slack message away. Hey, we're getting animatics in. I need to get this stuff to Foley and I don't know what this surface is. And I can just ask, you know, uh, the, the folks that are actually creating that stuff, they're a Slack message away. Um, thank you, Charles and Arno for constantly answering my questions there. Um, but yeah, it was just, uh, just like a dream scenario of, of collaboration. Um, every, there weren't silos. There wasn't any, there weren't any fences. It was just a bunch of people trying to make a really, really awesome show. Yeah. I feel like it's, uh, the world building aspect of this show is just like endless. Um, there's so many characters, so many worlds and, and po possibilities for where this, because it, it, like you said, it's kind of, this is the build up to where League of Legends is in a way, right? With the champions sort of give or take prequel ish. Um, I mean, ish. Yeah. I mean, the, the, yeah, the, there's, there's a healthy amount of, I mean, there's a, a pretty deep amount of lore that exists for, for all the characters, but, um, you know, the game League of Legends itself, there isn't really a story playing out within the game, uh, you know, unless there's some kind of an event or something like that, where we are trying to tell a narrative. Um, and those are always really fun and really cool, but the game itself, it's really just 10 people controlling different champions, trying to take down each other's nexus. Um, but, um, yeah, when you get to, you know, take these characters and, and, you know, give them, give them heart and give them, <laughs> give them, give them real stories um, or, or take the stories that exist that have, you know, been written by our awesome narrative and world building teams. Um, it, it's cool to finally just see that stuff come to life, especially when you're a giant super fan <laughs> like myself. I'm here for you. Only you. You can fire that thing if you want, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to abandon you again. One kind of constant for the season for for the characters is you know they're fully um, and they're fully makeup. Um, there's a lot of very custom signature jingle jangles that you don't necessarily feel all the time, but you hear it. Or, or, sorry, you don't always hear it, but you feel it. Um, and that's that's sort of a constant thread uh, for all the characters. As far as the environments go, um, I think as different as each location is visually, you know, we tried to you know. Uh, do the same sonically. I think Elliot was probably going to say something on that point. Yeah, it's interesting because you, when you're in Zon, you, you are you're kind of either closer to these these things that maybe you're emitting the sounds, like the gears or the steam. And for this particular scene, you're pretty far away. So I remember taking there. There is a gear Zon, uh, almost like a, a beat that happens from a machine. And I remember taking. Um, I took it and pitched for this scene. I took it and pitched it way down, and then basically gave it this kind of Grand Canyon slapper effect. Um, 
So I would always try to have each scene, whether it maybe was the same idea of steampunk, it was a different iteration of it. Like maybe this area had more of a steam release situation and this one had more of the mechanical situation. Um, but I don't know if, I mean, I think there's a couple of areas where we reuse Zon just because the story was calling for it. Like you wanted people to be like, we're, we're here and we're in Zon. And there is some signature gear beats that, uh, you know, we created that definitely play a couple of times. But um, the one thing that I always do to create different environments is how is with one-offs. Um, and I think we created a lot of kind of just weird, whether it was like a, a crow or a weird like bird call out or like these weird pitched crickets or whatever. We always try to find gaps to play those kinds of things because that's what keeps it interesting and keeps you in the story and keeps you engulfed. And it's like, oh, what was that? That was fun. But it's like, you have to do it in a way that's not distracting from the story. Um, but I, I, throughout the whole season, I tried to throw in weird little one-offs to help sell that you're still in this environment or in a different environment, um, which was fun. With this particular fight scene, um, this was Alex Seaver, so I think uh, I'll, I'll do my best to speak on behalf of him. But I, I remember even, you know, in sort of early listening sessions to this cue, we felt that, that was sort of an issue. It's sort of like, okay, we want this thing to be, you know, sort of max intensity almost from the beginning, because this is a big epic showdown between these characters. At the same time, um, we needed to, you know, we needed to last for I don't know what, what is it, one minute and twenty seconds or something like that, and. Um, so it's sort of like, okay, how do we keep the energy at this level? Also making, you know, being cognizant that sound is also going to be huge in this, in this battle. Um, and, but not have it feel like it's just sort of like making musical changes for the sake of making musical changes. So I think a lot of the times it's sort of like, you know, figuring out how many of those musical changes are necessary to, you know, keep things interesting, but also make it feel like it still, you know, logically fits the scene and, and makes, uh, makes narrative sense and then uh you know try to find like what is the best moment to have that so i think in this particular sequence um well a lot of the texture is is similar so it sort of you know has it doesn't feel like we're doing complete 180s there's that one scene where i think um you know where jinx and Vire back to back and the camera's swirling around them and i think that was that was the one where we sort of the music takes a, a pretty dramatic shift and it's not it, it, it's one of those things where it's just sort of like you're almost we're almost scoring the visual there. It's not like we're scoring the action of, of a particular event that's happened. Just sort of like this is such a dramatic visual. Let's let's have the music react to the change here and take advantage of that. Um, and then, you know, I, I think a lot of the times you're sort of like, you know, you can find the places where just when something's on the cusp of starting to get monotonous, you can sort of figure out like, OK, if we just remove the brass and the strings and and, you know, just keep the percussion going here, this this gives um, enough variation here that, you know, all of a sudden it feels like, you know, we're in a new section, but it doesn't feel like it's reacting without, you know, just arbitrarily. 
we tried to listen for those changes as well and, and kind of clear out of effects to help them sell those cue changes. Um, I remember Alex Seaver called Brad and I, and we kind of talked through this, and he shared his music early with us, and we were going through just the different sections. Uh, I think that really that, that interaction really helped out this scene. I mean, I, I know that, that that call definitely helped you guys sort of get on the same page because, you know, he... You know, he, he does a really great job of just sort of almost like wall of sound, you know, music that can just like basically like if you needed a scene that was just entirely music, like, you know, he does a great job of giving giving something that can, you know, cover the entire frequency spectrum. Um, so we were kind of like, OK, well, that sounds awesome, but you got to you got to leave a little room here. Let's let's figure out, like, maybe tame some of the distortion plugins or, or you know, carve out some frequencies because um, we got to like it's you know, we have to make sure that there's there's space for everything here. And I think. Where it ended up ended up, you know, serving the picture really well, which is super awesome. Like I think it's the first time on any project I've ever worked on where a composer has hit me up and been like, Dude, "Let's talk about this scene. What, what, what can I thin out or make better so that this scene shines?" And that's just shows you that what's going on over here is super cool, uh, collaborative effort. Well, well I think um, also it's, um, you know, there's just the knowledge that like, hey, if we make the music too dense. What's what? What can they do at the mix? They can turn it down. So it's sort of, you know, and you know, as a composer, that's not what you really want to have happen. So it's sort of like let's let's figure out a way of making the music just work, so they don't have to turn it down. And this this battle is the, the another kind of example of that. Just just editing each um, sequence with clarity and and singular sounds and uh, and making it clean so that the music can breathe. Um, you know. The guy coming down from above with his spear, uh, you know, hitting the ground, and he throws the grenade. And it clicks in from the side, and then you know you're to Jinx and her putting a chopper on the board, and like, you know, it's like we worked through it so that that's all you're hearing. There's nothing else going on, and 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 that's that really helps clarity, and then that in turn helps the music breathe. Um, cause you know, the more space you take up with sound effects, the less the music's going to sh- do. <laughs> you only have a certain amount of frequencies. Um, but so uh, yeah, this, that, I really like this fight scene. It really worked out well. I mean, that's just like one of the dozens of dozens of dozens of fight scenes and interactions and just like uh, for anyone who has not had a chance to see Arcane, I mean, go check it out. It's on Netflix. There's what is it? Nine, epi- nine episodes, right? Um, and I just feel like the detail, the level of detail of work that everyone is doing is just to me, it raises the bar when it comes to this type of storytelling. It's somewhere between anime and hyper-realism and I just like the I think when you give artists the creative freedom that I feel like Riot does you can see what's possible because it just feels like 
it's world building. And that's what world building is about, which is starting from a whole new place and trying to say what serves the characters and the story and the, you know, this, this thing that's bigger than anyone. It's not just about Jinx. It's about so many other things. And I mean, Jinx is the protagonist and we she's one of the main characters, but there's so many other stories and plot points and backstory that I just feel like you see it and you hear it in a way that I think otherwise doesn't really translate. So, I mean, congratulations, you guys, on just, I think, executing something, which I still can't fathom how it's possible. I don't know how you guys did it, but uh, it's it's obviously a big success. And I feel like for people to have an opportunity to be introduced to the world of Arcane and just League of Legends, this is a great entry point. I don't know if I will be a League of Legends player, but I am definitely an Arcane fan because of the work of this series. So, yeah, congratulations. Is, is there anyone else from... Um, your team um, or the crew that you guys want to acknowledge and call out? You know, first and foremost, um, Christian and Alex, uh, obviously for for getting this journey started. Fortiche, I mean, we'd be insane to not say all the thanks to Fortiche for, I mean, this is insane, right? Like you mentioned the visuals a gajillion times, and I don't think this is anything that anybody's ever seen before, um, at least like this at this scope. And um, breadth. So that's really cool. And then we have a, you know, the art team here uh, at Riot is just amazing. Um, Arnaud and Victor and Charles, and um, Evan and John and everybody that has contributed um, uh, to that. And, and then our whole production team, we have a whole awesome production team here. Um, we're, I don't know, <laughs> just, it's like one big family. We're just uh, all just kind of hanging out on a daily basis, talking about everything. Um, and uh, yeah, and then you know our the, I, we haven't even talked about the the soundtrack team right <laughs> there's a whole other component of this which is all the the bespoke soundtrack songs that were created for every every single episode um you could probably do a whole episode on that process um so you know all the folks that worked on that stuff um yeah sebastian najan and uh andre marsh and everybody on that that on riot music group and toa carrie ann i'm gonna forget people's names but um yeah yeah and then, um, geez, and then obviously, like, uh, our friends at, at, at Formosa, right? Like, we had a really awesome partnership with them on, on this season and um, certainly with the, the, the mix portion of things, um, um, Andy Lang and, and, and Penny Harold. I, I would definitely like to say thank you to uh, Andrew Kirsenbaum, who was my assistant throughout a lot of this process. And, you know, he, he tanks so much stuff that allowed me to focus on writing the music, um, you know, from, like, editing recordings to and prepare some sheet music for sessions and uh and uh you know even you know stepping in and composing some cues on the last few episodes um and then also you know our partners at scoring berlin for the orchestra recordings and then hollywood scoring here in la for um you know orchestration and some of the la based recordings i mean there's just so many there's so many people involved with this show that uh you know everybody here at riot that has helped us and gave us the resources to to do what we do there's a huge shout out for that uh Production team, art team, everybody. <laughs> Production team, the art team. Um, uh, I'd say one step up are those all those wonderful folks over there and, and everything they did for the show. Um, Formosa, uh, yeah, Andy and Penny, thank you, and Nick <laughs> for amazing, amazing mix. Um, and uh, geez, Alex Ephraim, mentioned you again, fully editor. Uh, Shannon Beaumont, our amazing ADR supervisor, dialogue editor, all things dialogue. Um, Terry Douglas, our our loop casting director. Um, yeah. You know, it's interesting now because I can look back and say that more video games are now being translated into series and feature films we're starting to see. 
And I think this is gonna become a trend because we can tell that the fans really enjoy these worlds, these original set pieces and environments and places that we get to explore as video game fans, which I am one of, I, I will admit, you know, I am a, a, a big ga gamer, I don't play everything, but I just feel like uh, the community and the characters are very real. And I, I just feel like, yeah, you guys did a wonderful job just bringing this story to life because I think when it came out, there were like three or four people that had asked me, have you seen Arcane? I'm like, I don't know what this is. And then when I saw oh, it was League of Legends. I was like, oh, okay. It gave me some sense of kind of maybe what it could be. But for anyone, like I said, who has, uh, you know, a few, a few hours, set it aside, get lost in the world of Arcane. And yeah, congratulations you guys again, because you guys have knocked it out of the park. I'm so excited and curious to see where this next season goes, but we'll have to, uh, talk about it some other time so thank you guys so much awesome thank you cool thank you thanks michael